Welcome back to the Investing in the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Caliber. We're focusing on the macro environment in Europe today and what risks it poses for investors. But we end on a high note with three well-known stock examples that could continue to perform well despite higher inflation. Hello, I'm James Yardley. Today, we're going to be discussing European equities with Zerid Osmani, the elite rated manager of the FTF Martin Curry European Unconstrained Fund. Zerid, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for inviting us, James. So, Zerid, let's get straight into it then. So, what are your thoughts on Europe today? What is the environment? Um, how is it for consumers and businesses at the moment? So there's many things to talk about in terms of the broader picture on Europe and the environment, starting with the macroeconomic environment. There's uh, clearly a big uh, point of uncertainty around inflation and the elevated inflation that uh, the whole world has been grasping with for the past 12 months. Uh, our view on inflation is that it's going to stay elevated uh, for longer, so somewhat stickier than what the market might be expecting. And therefore, that has implications in terms of monetary policy expectations. So we think both the ECB and the Fed uh, will continue to keep a close eye on those uh, abnormally high inflationary pressures and could be uh, continuing to hike for the time being. And yes, there is a debate about uh, getting closer to the end of the hiking cycle. We believe that that's not going to happen until 2024, but we're conscious that some market participants are of the view that there's going to be a pivot at some point this year. And that will in itself create an important bull bear debate in the market, uh, which was actually one of our points on the outlook for both Europe and the world for 2023, which is uh, it's a year of very high forecast risk and very elevated prediction error. Uh, and therefore, it's going to create that volatility. We've already seen that year to date with very sharp moves, uh, but there's going to be more coming as we see inflation prints and as we see adjustments to monetary policy expectations. Then when we look at the economic cycle, our view has been that we're heading into a sharp slowdown at the global level and at the US level rather than a recession. And for Europe, we were of the view that Europe was already in an element of stagflation, partly related to the Russia-Ukraine conflict uh, relating to uh, higher prices of commodities, notably energy prices and the potential risk to activity. Uh, what has changed since our outlook, and therefore to bring this up into your uh, question on the environment, is uh, China has suddenly reopened unexpectedly. And China being the second largest economy globally, it is important to keep an eye on the Chinese economic momentum. As it's relevant to Europe, well, Europe is more cyclically exposed to the global cycle and notably to the China cycle than any other developed markets. And therefore, for Europe, it matters how rapidly China uh, reopens. What we're seeing in terms of the PMIs for China is a very sharp recovery, both on the manufacturing and the services side. Our view on the Chinese uh, reopening is that more of the momentum is going to come from services and uh, this could continue to have good momentum into the rest of the year, uh, which means travel, leisure, 
luxury goods, cosmetics companies will be positively exposed to that. And Europe is full of those type of companies. So from that point of view, really what we're bringing into this is that the uh, improvement in the Chinese economic momentum, which we estimate that uh, it will drive 40 to 50% of the global GDP growth this year, uh, will be coming from China, will have uh, a supportive effect for European uh, economies and for the European activity. So as a result, we're somewhat more constructive about Europe generally uh, when we're looking at developed markets. And that is supported also by valuations. If you look at uh, valuations of developed market equities, yes, they have come down from the highs, both in the US and in Europe. But in the US, valuations are not as supportive as they are in Europe compared to the long-term average when you look on a cyclically adjusted P. Uh, so our view at the global level is Europe has supportive valuations, has to some extent an element of a more supportive economic cycle because it's more cyclically exposed to China and China is reopening. And um, in terms of uh, companies that are exposed to that China, cycle there are a lot of good companies in the luxury goods in the cosmetic space in particular uh, that could uh, stand to benefit and you've previously mentioned 10 key risks you see for investing in the region so i mean what are some of those risks and how might that impact the equity market i mean as we've seen already i mean we've had quite a lot of negativity in europe with inflation with the war in ukraine um, with concerns of a global slowdown, and yet the European equity market has held up okay, perhaps for some of the reasons you were mentioning with the demand from China and things. So what are these risks and how material are they? Yeah, good question, James. So the risks that we've listed are to some extent driven by policy expectations. So fiscal policies, uh, the risk of uh, fiscal policy slippages, notably there's a sizable element of uh, spending, that is uh, being planned, notably in terms of new energy sources, alternative energy sources for Europe. Uh, they're uh, driving to diversify away from Russian gas and Russian oil. So that's an important element of uh, potential risk if uh, that uh, plan doesn't follow through. Uh, monetary policy risks. So we have to acknowledge that there is always the risk that central banks tighten too much and do create that recession. Uh, we talked earlier about how we put a probability of a recession to at 30 to 35%. So we're still in the minority um, in terms of that uh, scenario. Uh, that scenario could, of course, grow if monetary policies uh, are overly hawkish, creating that more severe slowdown and into a recession. Uh, there's then the risk around inflation, and that's our view. Inflation will remain stickier. Uh, longer lasting and higher, and therefore that creates in itself uh, an important risk. Those uh, risks then feed into the risk of increased volatility, because when you have monetary policy uncertainty, you will have higher volatility in equity and bond markets. And within equity markets, you'll have higher volatility in terms of styles between quality growth versus value styles. Um, then we also highlighted a few risks around um, impact on margins. So higher inflation means uh, potential risk 
to corporate margins and therefore uh, focus on finding companies that have pricing power and are therefore able to protect themselves from that elevated inflation and protect their margins is critical. Uh, but that's an important risk at the corporate level. The other risk at the corporate level is higher corporate tax rates, which uh, the market isn't necessarily factoring in. Our forecast when we're looking at companies and predicting companies' uh, profits is to assume a 300 basis points increase in corporate tax rates globally, because we believe at some point there will be a need to raise tax, given the elevated uh, government debt levels that have come through since the COVID crisis. And then there's a few additional risks to bring into uh, the frame, James. Uh, one of them is that geopolitical risk. And that geopolitical risk um, takes many forms. Clearly, in this area of uh, Europe, it's the conflict on the European territory with the Ukraine invasion by Russia. Uh, there is uncertainty there whether there's going to be conflict escalation or conflict broadening. So that's an important focal point. Uh, broadly speaking, broader at the global level, there's uh, China versus rest of the world, China versus Taiwan, China versus US, which is bringing an important geopolitical risk. And that one is a particularly important one for the market to focus on, notably leading to another geopolitical risk, which is uh, the uh, technological fragmentation risk, where we're seeing in the semiconductor space in particular that there's a a race to uh, bring in more uh, independence in terms of uh, semiconductor uh, supplies uh, or access to semiconductors by the various territories, notably the US, notably Europe. And um, the final aspect is uh, our view that in the long term, growth will be uh, will remain low and therefore will be impacted. So the absence or the low growth environment means that we want to focus on companies that have structural growth exposure. So that can really generate their own weather, if you will, in terms of growth potential. And on that theme of structural growth, I mean, you've talked in the past about innovation and disruption, and you've identified eight thematic opportunities for the next decade. Um, we've spoken about a few of these in the past, cybersecurity, green energy, and healthcare. Uh, so perhaps today you could tell us a bit more about some of the others, uh, robotics and automation, uh, the metaverse and quantum computing. Yes, absolutely. So uh, robotics and automation and actually artificial intelligence is one that we bundled together. Uh, and that's an important one because uh, our view is that uh, as companies uh, realize that uh, post-COVID, they need to make their supply chains more resilient and their uh, production lines more robust. Uh, there is an increased uh, propensity towards uh, investing more into robotics and automation. Uh, there's also the geopolitical angle that we just talked about, which fuels into the willingness by corporates to nearshore, onshore, or bring uh, production lines to friendly shoring. Uh, elements of countries that are less geopolitical risk. And therefore, again, that drive towards robotic and automation is going to be part of uh, that element. Um, in addition to that, the artificial intelligence revolution that is uh, taking shape, uh, as you can see and as you can read, is important, is critical to corporates in terms of driving their productivity, but also uh, pushing for more creative momentum. Uh, and so the focus 
focus on investing more in the artificial intelligence is uh, also an important area of investment opportunities. So for us, that theme in itself, robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence is a big driver. Uh, how we uh, are able to gain exposure to that, uh, ultimately, when you look at uh, some of the drivers, uh, it's related to semiconductor manufacturing, uh, microchips. And therefore, if you look at the European level, a company like ASML is really well positioned from that point of view. It's also well positioned to take uh, advantage of that uh, uh, geotechnological fragmentation that we talked about earlier. Uh, and hopefully we can talk about that in more detail in a moment. Uh, and then at the global level, it'd be companies like NVIDIA are also very well positioned in the artificial intelligence space. And then the other one that you mentioned uh, is indeed the metaverse and quantum computing. So for us, um, these uh, two themes are somewhat nascent. But there's a lot of investment going into uh, those two areas, notably in the metaverse. You can see some of the big tech companies spending a lot to try and get the metaverse right. For us as investors, therefore, a bit like in the robotics automation and artificial intelligence, we want to find companies that are enablers of that theme or in other words, are beneficiaries of the capex that these big tech companies are spending in the metaverse. And again, uh, when you look at some of those drivers, uh, they are related to the semiconductor uh, space where you do need uh, access to uh, more microchips, faster microchips. Uh, miniaturization is another element, which again drives a leading edge technology, which SML is uh, in a quasi-monopolistic space. Uh, so there's opportunities that we see as very uh, relevant that uh, drive uh, an important area of capex cycle that have a structural growth aspect and where some companies in Europe are uniquely positioned to harness those opportunities. Yes, yeah, so turning specifically to your portfolio then, I mean, it's a very concentrated approach. I mean, you've got almost uh, a quarter of your fund invested in just three stocks, ASML, Ferrari and Montclair. So what is it about these three companies that gives you such high conviction? Yeah, you're right, James, to mention the concentrated aspect. So yes, we are uh, high conviction investors, highly concentrated. At the moment, we have 22 stocks in the portfolio. And as a result of uh, being so concentrated, some of our top positions do constitute a large part of the portfolio. So when we look at ASML, Ferrari and Montclair, without going into too much detail at this stage, uh, they have uh, similar characteristics uh, where by when we look at companies, we want companies that uh, operate in industries with high barriers to entry, uh, that have dominant market positions or the potential to become dominant. It gives them strong pricing power, which to us is always an important factor, but even more so in a high inflation environment. Uh, they are companies that have exposure to structural growth. So the element of generating their own weather in terms of gross potential. Uh, they also are companies that have high returns on invested capital. And for us, that's an important aspect. Uh, as investors, we are quality growth. And the quality element can be defined as high return on invested capital companies. They also have on the balance sheet side, uh, strong balance sheets and um, compounding cash flows. And then on the ESG side, we look at companies with quality management, good corporate cultures, and sustainable business models. 
And then the final criteria at the heart of all of this wheel, if you want to call it a wheel, is companies with attractive valuations based on our valuation methodology. So these three companies effectively emanate uh, characteristics across all of these criteria that we've just listed. But when you go specifically on each of them, ASML is in a quasi-monopolistic position in that leading edge semiconductor technology. We believe that semiconductors are an important structural uh, growth opportunity, even if the industry is cyclical. Uh, and ASML will benefit from that geopolitical uh, fragmentation, uh, whereby you have semiconductor companies now building plants in the US, in Japan, and uh, as of this morning, also an announcement of uh, fabs being built in Europe to avoid the over-resilience on the Taiwanese plant uh, of TSMC, just to name one uh, specifically. And therefore, ASML uh, will benefit from having to service more fabs and send its tools to more uh, factories effectively. In the case of Ferrari, uh, yes, Back to your first question about the environment, the consumer environment is somewhat uh, at risk of uh, slowing down, given the risk of uh, economic cycle slowdown or potential recession. But our view with Ferrari is it's, it's favoring the high-end uh, part of that consumption. Ferrari has very strong pricing power. It's pricing its models at a 25 to 70% premium to its closest competitors, which are Aston Martin, Lamborghini, and Porsche. And that's because it can. It's got long waiting lists, which means that if we head into a recession, then they can tap into that waiting list to continue to keep their production lines at full capacity and therefore their margins high. And it has understood that strong pricing power uh, by actually producing periodically some limited edition models, which actually end up being sold out before they even start production. So if you have a period of slowdown in economic activity, they can move the production lines towards delivering, producing, sorry, and then delivering these limited editions and actually they're margin accretive. So a lot of reasons why Ferrari is really well positioned across both the top line in terms of structural growth, but also in terms of ability to continue to drive strong return on invested capital. And in the case of Montclair, Montclair is in this segment of luxury goods, again, higher end consumption where we're more positive than mass market consumption. It's a brand that's not overly exposed yet. So it's got a lot of greenfield opportunities to open more doors. But importantly, has a CEO who's also the creative director who's very focused on ensuring that the brand doesn't get overexposed, doesn't have too much inventory, which means doesn't run into a, a need to discount, which means pricing power is strong again. And then from the point of view of um, newness, it's a phenomenally uh, vibrant brand uh, with very strong appeal in the and uh, age group that is uh, very uh, dynamic, uh, that also has a very good following across geographies, notably China. Uh, they ran a, a Montclair uh, campaign on TikTok uh, a couple of years ago, which generated 6 billion views, um, which shows you that relevance. And then they've recently relaunched the Montclair Genius Initiative to drive more uh, uh, content and more appeal and more uh, high profile. And they've got people like uh, Farrell Williams, Alicia Key, Jay-Z, 
being part of these campaigns, which again shows you how uh, creative the brand is and how appealing it is to that age group that we mentioned earlier. Well, that's been very interesting, Zared. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you, James. The STF Martin Curry European Unconstrained Fund is a high conviction, no constraints portfolio of quality growth companies. It has a long-term approach focusing on a five to 10 year time horizon. To learn more about the FTF Martin Curry European Unconstrained Fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. Mm -hmm.